Good evening. It is good to see each of you, and if you are visiting with us, we welcome you again. We're so thankful that you're here. You being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you want to take your Bibles and open to Genesis, the 24th chapter, Genesis, the 24th chapter, and on your pew Bibles, that's on page 20 and 21, if you'd like to be turning there, and we'll study in just a moment from there. I, I want to remind you that the young men uh, will be leading a devotional after services, as already mentioned, that's in the fellowship area upstairs, the simulcast area, and we are so thankful for our young men and for the preparation that they've made, the training that they've gone through, and the willing spirit and life and heart that they have to participate in such good things, and we are so thankful for that. We're thankful that our young people are back safely from skiing. About 75 of them have been gone this weekend, and I understand that it was a good uh, a good. A trip and a lot of fun and, and a lot of good Christian fellowship. We're thankful for Doug and Sharon Perry and for all those that helped make that a reality for our young people. Do keep in mind Bible class emphasis Sunday, this coming Sunday. If we want and care about others and we want to reach out to them, this is a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity to plant a seed. It's a wonderful opportunity to encourage them to attend and come to our Bible classes. Even if they say no, We've planted a wonderful seed so that later on, if something happens in their life and they have a desire to learn more of God, they know where they can go where people care. They know where they can go where people want them to be there. So please, put out some invitations this week. You may be surprised who and how many say yes and show up, but even the others that do not show up, it's not a failure and it's not a waste of time. Our job is to sow the seed, to put out the invitations, and let's make sure that we do that. Also keep in mind the Calling and Caring Workshop will again be this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And what a wonderful experience that is going to be. And after services tonight, there will also be uh, a meeting for those that want to help or at least be in part in some way in the Katrina relief efforts. And we're so excited about that opportunity and to have Paul Gentry with us. And you'll hear more about that in just a few minutes. But that meeting will be downstairs in the lower area uh, for the fellowship area downstairs. The question that young people, I guess, have asked for hundreds of years. How do you know which one is the right one? When it comes to picking a spouse and you're dating someone, how do you know they are the one? Is there only one out of the whole world? Do I have to find that one? Tonight, in the few minutes that we'll study together, I want us to take a sub-point that really was somewhat linked to a lesson out of Song of Solomon that we did three weeks ago. And I want us to spend about 15 minutes on this sub-point tonight that God gives us an example of a family that wanted to make sure that their son Isaac found the right one, but their first search was for the right kind. I need to understand... Young people, those of you that are not married yet, it's so important who we choose to be our spouse. It's so important that we make this a great priority. It's so important that we make this a search for the right kind of person, not just the right one. It's so important that we make this a matter of our faith and our conviction to God that we trust that God will bring someone into our life that will be the right one. And because of that trust, we will wait on that individual. It's important that we 
seek God's approval in this. And it's important that we find a servant's heart. Those are the lessons that we learn as we go to Genesis, the 24th chapter. Keep in mind, back in Genesis, the 21st chapter, Isaac was born to parents that were 90 and 100 years old. By the time we come to the 23rd chapter, Sarah has deceased. Abraham is aging, and there's something that is a great matter of concern on his heart. It's one of the greatest priorities that he has left in his life. And so he calls the eldest servant, and we begin reading in the 24th chapter, verse 1, 2, and 3. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord has blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. Here we see Abraham making this a high priority to find the right kind of wife for Isaac. Because he goes to the eldest servant. He goes to the servant that he can trust the very most to send on a mission that probably he himself believes that he is too old for this journey. He does something that to you and I probably seems very strange, but it was the highest oath that one could ask of another man of that day and time. It was where he would literally ask his servant to slide his hand under his hip and promise him that he would keep the request of which he is asking him. What was that request? Don't go for what is convenient. Do not search for a wife that's close by There's a wife of the Canaanites. Why? They were heathens. They were the women that would turn the heart of his son away from God. You remember that was the same warning that God gave the nation of Israel. It's the same warning that he gave the great wise Solomon. And Solomon in his old age decided to go against God and married wives of the pagan nations and his heart was turned to the idols. And what a sad, sad ending to Solomon's life. Here we see the high priority that Abraham made it as he was searching for a wife for Isaac. Giving this priority to the eldest servant giving the highest oath that could be asked to make sure that you will not find a wife of the Canaanites. And then such a high priority that even though it was a long journey, he would ask him to make that long journey. And he would put great riches upon this, loading ten camels with riches to go and to bless and prosper the family of which would offer a godly daughter for his son, a godly wife for his son. So it is, we today need to stop and ask, what kind of priority have we placed upon our children finding the right kind of spouse? What kind of priority do we place in day-to-day conversation? Well, I can't say I've ever talked to my child about that. Well, that's a pretty high priority, isn't it? Well, I can't remember the last time that's ever been discussed at my house. Not much of a priority, is it? Friends, from the time our children are knee-high, if in fact this is one of the most important decisions that they will make, and if in fact this is a great priority in our lives, we better be talking to our children 
about what kind of spouse we expect them to marry. It was a high priority in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And now that it's time for him to have a wife, Abraham is doing everything that he can do to make sure that she's of the right kind. Let's read these verses about the right kind. Let's go in back and read verse 3, and then let's go to verse 4. You remember in 3 that he made the servant promise that she would not be of the daughters of the Canaanites? And now look at verse 4. But you shall go to my country, that's back to Mesopotamia, and to my family and take a wife from my son Isaac. You see, there had to be one that would have godly roots, one that would serve God, a wife that would help his son get to heaven, a wife that would help his grandchildren get to heaven. It was a high priority that he find notice now at this point. At this point, the emphasis is not upon the right one. At this point, the emphasis is upon the right kind. Make sure that they're the right kind. Young people, I want to urge you to realize that if you've ever thought about it or never thought about it this way, give us some thought. We need to think first with our mind and second with our heart. First with the mind, second with the heart. The mind tells us whether or not it's the right kind of person. And once we've identified whether or not they're the right kind of person, then we can decide with the heart, is this the right one? It's a foolish way to live, to allow the emotions of the heart to direct something as important as choosing a spouse. I said in the past, marrying someone based on love alone is never reason enough to marry. I had a phone call after that. Never thought about that before. What do you mean by that? This is a part of what I mean by that. To love only with the emotions of the heart, we could fall in love with a lot of people that are the wrong kinds of people. He could have easily emotionally fell in love with the Canaanite ladies. He could have easily convinced himself that these Canaanite ladies were wonderful spouses. He could have been blinded by love, so to speak. But his father in wisdom was making the plea to the servant, go back to the right kind of people. And there you can search for the right one. Notice it was an element of faith. Let's go to verse 5, 6, 7, and 8 now. And notice as we read in 5, 6, 7, and 8, what he, the servant's concerned about maybe the woman wouldn't come back. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me back to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Do you realize what's happening in this? This is a powerful principle for us to understand here. The servant has a great concern. He hasn't made this oath yet. He's not slid his hand under his thigh yet. He's wanting to get this straight. Now, wait a minute. You want me to make an oath to you that I'll bring back a wife from a foreign, or from Mesopotamia, which to them was a foreign land. But what if I go over there and I find the wife, but yet when I tell her what the situation is, that she's going to have to leave her family and go all the way back to Canaan, what if she says no? 
I don't understand. What am I supposed to do? Do you want me then to come back and get your son and take him back there and let him reside there? And Abraham says, whoa, right there. Let's get something real clear. You must have forgotten the covenant that God's already made with me and my family. The covenant he gave was to give me and my family this land. We've already moved from Mesopotamia because God moved us here. We are not going to go against God to find a spouse. Let that sink in. We'll not go against God. Well, maybe it'd be easier to find a wife if he would just move over there. We're not going to go against God to find a spouse. How many times have young men or young women settled for a relationship that they know was less than godly? Because they didn't trust that God would sometime bring into their life a godly spouse. You hear what Abraham's saying here? We'll wait. You can be relieved of the oath. You come back without a spouse. But we're not going against God's promise in order to find a spouse. Listen carefully to this. Until we are ready to remain single and holy, we are not ready to date. Until we are ready to remain single and holy, we are not ready to marry. Marriage ought to be for those that are whole in their relationship with God, and they have found another that is whole in their relationship with God, and they'd love to spend the rest of their life together. But our relationship with God cannot be sacrificed one little bit in order to find a spouse. That's never been God's design. I tell you what, while you're looking for a spouse, go ahead and put me second. And then maybe later on after you're married, you can figure out a way to come back close to me again. How do we know if someone's trusting God in this? You ever seen someone that's faithful to God and then they start dating someone and all of a sudden they're not there on Wednesday nights? They're involved in the work of the church and they start dating someone and all of a sudden they just don't have time for the work of the church anymore? What is that? It's obvious that someone has believed that I can't wait any longer upon God. He's not going to bring me the right one. So I'm just going to go ahead and date this one that's pulling me away from God. And some way in the end, it'll all work out. What a wonderful example we have here, where Abraham, we might say, puts his foot down. He lays the law down to the servant, and he says, absolutely, we will trust God in this. We will not violate the promise that he's given. 
Notice how he seeks God's approval. And we've got to wrap this up really quick here. So let me tell you a few things that's happening. And you can scan some verses as we look to the next slide. As we look to the next slide, we see that he, the servant, he was looking for the approval of God. He loads up ten camels and he goes over to Mesopotamia. And then when he goes there, he's still not certain how he's going to find the right one. He knows he's over in the right area of the country to find the right kind. He doesn't know now how he's going to recognize the right one. And so what he does is he says this prayer to the Lord. Beginning verse 12, he says, Then he said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, please give me success this day. What a beautiful prayer. He wants to find a godly wife for Isaac. And that's his prayer. Lord, please give me success this day. Make sure that every one of us that have a youth in our life that's not married, that that is our prayer on a daily basis. Lord, give my child success when at the time they choose to marry, that they'll find a godly spouse. Give them success in that. All of our youth that are not married ought to be praying that. Give me success in this adventure, in this endeavor to find a spouse that is a godly spouse. And then the way he decides in his prayer to God that he wants to identify her is that when he sees someone, he's going to ask them for water. And if they offer him water and then go ahead and offer to water his camels, he's going to know that that is the right one. But note this. He's making this agreement with God. In other words, he's seeking God's approval. I remember that phone call. I was pretty nervous, and if Miles had not been so great between me and my father-in-law-to-be, I would have traveled and done this in person. But I remember that phone call that I was real nervous where I called, and, and I said, uh, Mr. Leon, uh, this is David Shannon, and I'd like to marry your middle daughter. I'd like your blessings on that before I ask her. I'd like your approval. Now, some could say that's old-fashioned. Whatever you want to call it, I wanted to go into marriage with his approval, with the family's blessing. But, you know, there's a blessing that we ought to search for long before that, is we ought to make sure that we have God the Father's approval of whom we're married. And that's what the servant's doing here. God, I want to make sure that I pick out the right one. I want you to give me success today. And this is how I'm going to be able to identify that one. And Rebecca comes along and she has a picture on her shoulder. You see, we already see she has a servant's heart because she's waiting on her family. And then as she comes along, we see in verse 16 that she's recognized as a woman that was very beautiful to behold. That's not a strike against her, is it, guys? A virgin. That shows us that not only is her outward beauty great, but that shows her her inner beauty is great because she has kept herself pure. No man had known her, for she went down to the well, filled her picture, and came up. Now notice this as we read 17 and following, and notice the servant's heart. The servant ran out to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all the camels. Now it's said that camels drink anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons of water. She had 10 camels there that she's watering. This wasn't a little five-minute job that she offered. She probably spent several hours there watering all the camels, and the servant here is just watching this woman with a servant's heart. Do the work. He knows now he is fulfilling that oath. 
I want to remind you of two passages. In 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, we read in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. We read in Hebrews, the twelfth chapter, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right-hand throne of God. Many times in the Scriptures, the Christian life is painted as a race. We see that it's a race that we set our eyes on Jesus. Young people, if you're not married tonight, I want to beg you to put your eyes upon Jesus and run that race. And don't let anything stop you from running that race. If you begin a relationship with someone that is hindering you from running that race, the Lord says you lay down sin and any burden that so easily besets you. We ought to be able to date someone and grow closer to God and not further away from God. That ought to be the litmus test. That ought to be the test that we give any relationship that we're in. That I need to get out of that relationship if I'm not growing closer to God. So you see this young man or you see this young woman and they are running a race for Jesus Christ. Their eyes are set on Jesus Christ and they're going around that track in life. And you know what? If you'll wait upon God, one of these days, you're going to be running with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength for Jesus. And you're going to look over. You're going to say, hey, hey, wow, you run this way often? I've never met you before. So you mean you really run for Jesus? Oh, yeah, I'm here all the time. That's great. You want to run a few laps together? Wow, let's, let's run some laps together. Maybe I'll see you tomorrow running for Jesus. And day after day, you run for Jesus. And you grow closer to that individual. And one of these days, you reach the point where you realize you don't want to spend the rest of your life apart. You want to spend your life together. Because after all, this person's been good for you spiritually. You've been running closer to Jesus than you've ever run. And you believe that this person would help you run all the way to heaven. That's how we find a spouse. If ever in our mind our idea is we put Jesus second to find a spouse, or we may find a spouse, but it may offer a long, hard life when we try to get God back first in it. Tonight, Let's extend an invitation and just think about that idea of the race where our eyes are to be set on Jesus and if your eyes haven't been there and you need to be baptized into Christ for the mission of sins as a believer that's willing to repent, won't you put your eyes on Jesus tonight and be saved? Maybe you have been saved, but yet something has separated. You've let obstacles, you've let sins, you've let burdens separate you from God. Won't you lay those burdens down tonight? Confess your thoughts and repent. Let's pray together. Let's all make sure that we leave here running with all of our might for God. For you can help you in any way comes we stand as we sing. My Jesus.